fellow film fans and book fans. Today I am in studio with Jean Picker Furstenberg. She is the author of Becoming AFI, 50 Years Inside the American Film Institute. She spent nearly 30 years there as the CEO and president. We will find out all about celebrities, films, and more. Don't go away. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. <laughs> now here's our clapping. <laughs> the clapping. It feels so good. It feels so good. Hello, book fans. Hello, film fans. I am your host, Zoe Hewitt. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at RealZoeHewitt. And sitting directly to my left is author and AFI leader extraordinaire, Jean Picker Furstenberg. Jean, I'm so glad to have you in studio with me today. Well, you are a powerhouse. I'm delighted to be here with you, Zoe. <laughs> well, thank you. That is so gracious, especially coming from you and this amazing experience that you have wrapped up neatly in a book for everyone to read now. How long did it take to put this book together? Because this is a powerhouse of a book. 50 years is a long time. <laughs> and it uh, about uh, four or five years before the 50th, I was started thinking about it. I'd been retired about five years then. And uh, 50, 50 sort of means something, mm -hmm. whether it's at your, you, everybody always thinks their life is over when they turn 50, right? <laughs> you know, that now they're on the downside. But for an institution to um, have a 50th is, is really meaningful. So I went to my colleague and co-author, James Hyman. We'd been colleagues for 24 years. And I said, uh, you know, maybe we should think about the 50th. <laughs> well, for almost two years, we had lunch every two weeks. And all we did was chase our tail. We talked about this. We talked about that. I wrote proposals. I started doing a little research. And we were going nowhere. Nowhere fast. No, nowhere slowly. <laughs> and... Um, a friend had written a book, and uh, I said to him, how did you get this book written? And he said, well, he met this woman. He's a, a coach, uh, an, an actor's coach, and someone was in his class, and he was talking about, I'm thinking of writing a book. Mm -hmm. And this person came up to them and said, you've written a book. I can help you. And I said, we need that person. <laughs> and uh, Jana Branch is a fabulous editor. Mm -hmm. She makes you feel like you have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you say, I have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. But then the work begins. And uh, it was a very exciting project. Never really thought this day would come that I'd be sitting here with you. I mean, there were so many fortunate things along the way. First of all, to get a book published today? Yeah. That is hard. So... It does take a village, and there are a lot of wonderful people who made it all possible, and I'm I'm the lucky person sitting here to talk about it. <laughs> well, I'm lucky because one of the things that's so fascinating about this book is that while it is a history of the AFI, it's also a little bit of a memoir of your experiences. So in that way, I feel like it's art imitating art because it's not just a straight-up no. history of the AFI, but it is a piece of art itself. Well... That's very kind of you to say. It's, um, it is certainly not an academic detail-by-detail uh, detail of, uh, of what happened over those 50 years, and there's a lot left out. But it is a personal look. You're so right. It is, it is our, our view, Jamie and my view, of 
what happened? Mm -hmm. And a number of our incredible colleagues who played such prominent roles uh, came along for the ride. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is interesting because it's like a film. You're telling a story. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, why perhaps the book does work in, in the sense that we told the story of how AFI, starting as uh, a government-funded entity, right. 50 years later, later is standing on its own two feet. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing accomplishment. It is, and that was something that we talked about earlier because I feel like AFI is something that a lot of film people maybe know about but don't know anything else about. I mean, that's how I felt. So I was fascinated to find out that it was originally funded by the National Endowment for the Arts. And your title, actually, is one of the things that's discussed in the book because I find that really fascinating, too. So for most of your years there, you were actually the director until just 18 months Uh, at the end. Yes. When I realized that and told that sidebar story. Uh-huh. Um, so what do you call something that started in 1967, mm-hmm. funded by the National Endowment for the Arts that started two years earlier? What do you call the head of that institution? Do you call them president? Do you call them executive director? Um, I don't think they knew what to mm-hmm. call them, but director in film is so important. Mm-hmm. So so George Stevens Jr., our, our founding director mm-hmm. and CEO, and um, what ha- so here I am. I was there probably twenty years when I said this title doesn't work anymore, mm-hmm. and I really was sort of. I can't suggest that they should change my title to president. <laughs> I mean that's just too presumptuous, <laughs> right? So. Um, I, I held my tongue, as it were, <laughs> and um, when we started the search for my successor, um, we had a fabulous committee, and Bob Daly, who's such a such a leader in this community and such a humanist, I said, I really think the next person mm-hmm. should be the president and CEO. We're now an accredited mm-hmm. uh, graduate school. Director just... doesn't make sense anymore. And Bob Daly said, well, if you think we should do that, let's do it. But the person who succeeds you shouldn't be seen as doing a different job. So let's change your title. And there, you know, in one sentence, (laughs) what I had been hoping for for several years, I said, that'll be fine. (laughs) And as I write in the book, we never, we didn't send out a press release. We never acknowledged it. We changed the bylaws, you know, so that now the the person who's running is president and CEO. We changed the the stationery. We changed mm-hmm. the business cards. And no one ever asked a word. No one ever acknowledged, oh, you have a different title? I think I was the only one in the world who knew that I had this, this title. So it was, um, it's nice of you to have have mentioned that because it it, it changed everything in a, in a lot of ways. Perception yes. is so important. Mm-hmm. And it, it then allowed, when I did retire formally, to be named President Emerita, and that mm-hmm. means a lot to me. Yeah. So look at that. How lucky can you get? 
It's true, though. Perception means so much across the boards. And I think that's something that also comes up repeatedly in the stories you tell in the book and some of the accomplishments that that happened during your career. And like you mentioned, the school, because again, that was something I wasn't as familiar with. And And I think we were also talking earlier about how along the lines of perception, it's so important, your reputation and what you do, because there's also a wonderful story about how your reputation came back. So can you speak to what it was like taking over the school and turning it into the AFI school? Well, I succeeded a a, a brilliant man, and he, uh, he started something from scratch. That's the hardest thing to do. There were no models. There, there was no blueprint. And George did an absolutely brilliant, brilliant job. And um, uh, his, his 12 years were in many ways a miracle. Mm-hmm. So now I, I inherit, inherit that. And it's, it's hard to succeed a, a giant, you know, who, has, who, who started all of it. Um, and I got very, very lucky because... I'm an East Coast person. Mm-hmm. I had lived my whole life between uh, New York, where I was born, went to school in Boston, worked in the Kennedy administration. You know, So mm-hmm. the Boss Wash Corridor was my life. I never, ever thought I would mm-hmm. move to California. And, um, but George had made this fantastic arrangement with the city of Beverly Hills to lease... Greystone, the Doheny Mansion, mm-hmm. for a dollar a year. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> it's a very good deal. Very good deal. And everyone who went to Greystone loved it. Mm-hmm. Loved it. And what happened was, uh, it was a 10-year deal, and the city of Beverly Hills realized, well, maybe this is very valuable mm-hmm. property, <laughs> and we should be charging a monthly fee for it. By then, we'd really outgrown it, mm-hmm. and, and, and it was, uh, it, 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 we needed more space. So here I am, this East Coast kid. Where, where are we going to go? I, I, I'd been to California a number of times, but I didn't know California. Mm-hmm. The board had set up a committee. Uh, the committee hadn't located anything yet, and I came out here, and they said, um, there's a school on Western Avenue, and we understand they have to sell, and it's going to go on the market soon. Do you want to go see it? Mm-hmm. Sure, where's Western Avenue? So we drive from mm-hmm. Doheny, an, another five, six miles. We go up this hill on, on uh, Western and Franklin. We turn left into this campus. We go up to the top of the hill. And I can see the Pacific Ocean. I said, this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. This will work. <laughs> I never realized that you can only see the Pacific Ocean two or three days a, a year <laughs> when, the, when the, you know, there, there's no overcast. Um, I guess I fell in love with the campus Mm -hmm. then and there. And because the board just really put its mind to it, um, less than eight months later, I walked down that hill with um, Charlton Heston and Steve Broidy and the interim president of Immaculate Heart College, a magnificent group of, of nuns, really, really beautiful, beautiful people and announced that we had acquired this mm-hmm. campus. And looking back, that was a pretty big moment. Yeah. At, at the time, I thought, oh my goodness, how did we do this? But um, it really changed the perception. When, mm-hmm. you, ha- when you own something, yeah. when you have your own property, all of a sudden, 
you you have a, a solidified position in people's minds, and so that really was um, a very fortunate first year in my mm-hmm. in my tenure. Yeah, I mean that's quite a way to start. And that neighborhood in those days, what was it like? Because now things have definitely come around. For anyone who doesn't know, like the Hollywood, Los Feliz area, you know, it, it's been I feel like ups and downs. Um, that's a really interesting question. Well, Los Feliz is beautiful. It's mm-hmm. always been beautiful. Um, to tell you the truth, I don't, I wonder, I don't think the neighborhood has changed that much because you had Immaculate Heart College and you had the high school and the high school was thriving. So they are on the corner and, um, and we're good neighbors to each Mm -hmm. other. It's really, really wonderful. Um, it's halfway between downtown Mm -hmm. and the ocean. It's really close to the valley. Uh Um, and in some ways, what do you think is the heart of Hollywood? I mean, we're we're now in North Hollywood, right. you know. So I think the location was kind of perfect. Uh-huh. On the other hand, traffic traffic has changed <laughs> a heck of a lot right. since, since 1980. <laughs> well, what used to take a half hour can now take... 45 or 60 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I'm just thinking even Hollywood itself and Hollywood Boulevard in just even the last five years, there's such a difference around like the Pantages Theater that's now like this gorgeous area. But for a while, you wouldn't want to walk around after dark. Oh, no. You know, Hollywood Boulevard took so long Mm -hmm. to um, turn around. And and Hollywood and Highland was really the beginning Mm -hmm. of that. And... Uh, we we were really involved with that evolution, and I recently went to the Pantages to see Hamilton, mm-hmm. and that is a beautiful theater. Yeah, that is a beautiful place to watch yeah. anything. I think it's it, yeah. so. But Hollywood still has a long way to come back. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's a, it's a big stretch mm-hmm. of. On the other hand, since the ten years that yeah. I have have been retired. I cannot believe the number of apartment buildings built yeah. uh, in and around Hollywood and Vine. It's unbelievable. Which I feel like also is only better for the school as well to have absolutely. this burgeoning oh, no. area that's bustling and alive. It's great. And so, it's absolutely great. But at the time, the, it was easy to drive across town and you signed on the dotted line, but then there was still a lot of fundraising to do and a lot of work to get... To well, just, just to in, stay right? with one personal interjection Please. here, the other thing that was so wonderful for me is that mm-hmm. I could look out of my office window and see Dodger Stadium. <laughs> and um, uh, as I say in the book, I wanted to be a sports announcer. I was just 20 years ahead of my time. I loved the Dodgers uh-huh. as a child. And now, <laughs> in those days, uh-huh. I was 15 minutes away from the ballpark. So it was a little piece of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and Actually, then, I want to back up because you're right. It was in, It is interesting. You talk about in the book how you were ahead of your time because women weren't allowed in the locker room, so therefore you couldn't be a sports reporter. But you were ahead of your time so much because in 1980, when you were the director slash president-to-be of the AFI, well said. I mean, I at the time, it was just part of your life maybe, but looking back, there were not women in positions of power like that. You know, Zoe, it's... Um it's it's uh, AFI was really ahead of its time, I think, uh, in my selection, and I was incredibly fortunate um, to be named at that time. Mm-hmm. And looking back, it seems seems even more amazing. Uh, Faye Kanan 
had just become, in 1979, had become president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. She was the second woman. Betty Davis had served just for a couple of months, and the studio didn't want her to. So Faye was really the first full-time president, a beautiful, beautiful woman. And I, I st she was on the search committee. I looked at that face at, uh, at the table, and... You know, there was just this look in her eye. I'm, I'm with you, gal. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. And so now I start on January 1st. The Oscars in 1980 were in March. Mm -hmm. um, and I had no idea how difficult a ticket it was. I had no idea. Honest to goodness, I was innocent. I called up Faye and I said, hey, Faye, can I go to the Oscars? <laughs> like, you know, what's the big deal? And there was this pause. And she said, I think the director <laughs> of the AFI should go to the Oscars and bless her soul. I got to go every year because my name was on the list and it was so wonderful. And so I, this is Faye's first Oscar. It's at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. She comes up on a lift from under the stage and the announcer says, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, Mr. Faye Kanan. Faye couldn't hear it because she mm -hmm. was coming up, and there was sort of like this <gasps> gasp. So I guess you're right. 1980 was a very, yeah. very different time. And yeah. I love that story, and I'm glad you mentioned it because I would have asked because it is in the book with a very interesting sort of postscript that you didn't share just now. So I went back to look at the archives of the Academy, and um, they're dear friends and they're good, good people, mm -hmm. but they did edit mm -hmm. the announcement, and it's, uh, and you know, I don't know if it's Ms. Faye, Faye Kanan or Mrs. Faye Kanan, so uh -huh. I, I have to listen again, <laughs> but it's not Mr. <laughs> Which is fascinating because, right, we look to the archives for our source of truth, but they have been Sometimes. edited. Well, you know, I probably would have done it too. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess how different is that anyway from when they re go back and re-edit any show? Absolutely. So that, Good you know, point. game shows too, so that if someone misspeaks, they just fix it later. So that, can, can that we is... do that here? <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to make any mistakes here. Okay. <laughs> but so that is truly part of entertainment and the yes. ability to go back and edit but it is really like you said it's, it's indicative of what was happening at the time that no, no one thought she could true. be a miss that, that's absolutely right and it didn't happen in rehearsal mm -hmm. so it's like stress time and you know you revert back to mm -hmm. a fallback position <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's in, she, she was a great lady though a great lady well, it seems like it, especially to roll with that punch that she didn't even know what happened exactly, at the time. <laughs> exactly. She was in a red uh, uh, oh, Bob Mackie dress. I remember her telling me that. She, she, Faye was a writer, a great writer, uh, and uh, she, she wrote all of her speeches. Uh, I remember the executive director of the Academy telling me, you know, it was so easy because she, she was always prepared. Mm -hmm. She, uh, she looked great in that Bob Mackie dress, too. <laughs> and you're wearing red, too. Power uh, color, yes. right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. And we've got red on your book, so. <laughs> well, uh, uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I love the designer, uh, Amy yeah, Hemingway, and I think, I think she did a beautiful job. And our colors are, you know, red yeah. and black, so, you know, yeah. it, it fits. <laughs> it all fits together. So while you were handling the school, you had lots of other projects going on and projects that, of course, came up over the years. And there was a fascinating catalog that you guys started as well that is, I feel like, of particular interest and also particular importance because, as you say, this was the days before IMDb. This was before you could just get online and search films of the 1930s. So when you decided you're going to put together this catalog of films, it was research. George Stevens deserves all the credit in the world. Um, This, well, saving American film history Mm -hmm. was one of the initial mandates of the American Film Institute. Films were not being saved. Mm-hmm. Um, the good people who were running the studios at the time didn't appreciate, didn't understand, mm-hmm. didn't recognize. Right. They, they thought these films only were valuable for their commercial components. Mm-hmm. They didn't realize that it was American cultural history. Right. And so they didn't, they didn't care. Mm-hmm. Now, there were fantastic our archivists uh, in at MoMA at George Eastman House mm-hmm. uh, and at the Library of Congress uh, and then UCLA started in the 60s um, but there was no concerted public strong statement about save American film mm-hmm. history and so if I was able to do that I'm really proud of what George did and I'm really proud we sent out the clarion call we found mm-hmm. Um, nitrate film all over the world and saved it and at the same time how can you save American film history when you don't know what is composed of American Mm -hmm. film history so the catalog project was this mammoth now this was an academic Uh project and um, the archivist did a brilliant brilliant job and you also you're talking at the you know computers Mm -hmm not exactly right. prevalent in, in, the, in the late 60s. So you had a lot of three-by-five cards, but you had people mm-hmm. who were deeply committed. And now, 50 years later, the AFI, it, it had lots of bumps and rides and, and, mm-hmm. and tough times along the way, but thanks to the National Endowment for the Arts, thanks to the National Endowment for the Humanities, mm-hmm. thanks to uh, 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 J. Paul Getty, to many, uh, many, many donors. Uh, the first hundred years mm-hmm. of the catalog are available online at AFI.com. And um, just recently, you can now click on there. Mm-hmm. You can click on and see clips from mm-hmm. uh, the films. It's really a 21st century project now. Mm-hmm. And that all happened uh, since my mm-hmm. uh, retirement. But it is something to really be proud of. Mm-hmm. And yes. it is accurate. Yes. It is accurate. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about any other. Uh, I will say it for you. So the point that's made in the book is that a lot of other, let's just say a lot of other sites online are user have user-generated content. So anyone can write anything in, whereas you this was well-researched. You are a diplomat, <laughs> Well said. Well Thank said. you. Well, what's amazing is that, so there's a great chart in here, which I could find. I did write, let's see, 155. But what's fascinating, once I pull up this chart, it says just how many movies were cataloged. So 
And so the very first one, the film Beginnings from 1893 to 1910, which you guys called a work in progress, it came out in 1995, 17,752 films were cataloged. And that number is mind-boggling. That's a lot of films. That's yes, a lot of films. <laughs> I'd hate to think about the number today if we counted everything that everybody's doing on, on their home, on their cell phone. <laughs> right. But right. Where would you draw that line? <clears throat> I don't know. Where you, well, I, I think that um, in each of the catalogs, they make the distinction of whether it has been shown in a in a public yeah. setting, uh-huh. you know, and uh, whether it was made in America or <laughs> in a foreign country. But a lot of stories are told using moving images, mm-hmm. and um, those stories are really valuable. The um, Library of Congress has a National Film Preservation Board. And they have tried to save uh, family family movies mm-hmm. because th- those are our stories yeah. also. So th- that's what's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. That's really the overwhelming right. aspect of it. But the AFI catalog is something to be really, really proud of and something that took a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the technology now yeah. makes it so accessible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's really... Uh, those are uh, those curators and those first people who mm-hmm. put the catalog together deserve a lot of credit. Well, I think all of you, and well, it's you know, while you talk about in the book too, you didn't have money for certain things. Clearly, there were also there's never enough fun. Money. There's never enough money, <laughs> right? So on one hand, you didn't have enough money. On the other hand, well, there was money. There's just never enough of it. But what's really great about I feel like the great story behind that catalog as well is that all of you were just when you'd go on vacation, it would be like, oh, there's an archive over here that will let us look at a film. So please take a day off of your vacation to go do some work. <laughs> now, archivists are. Deeply devoted people <laughs> who never really, you know, leave their work behind. Mm-hmm. They're always looking for, you know, in those days, for any kind of copy, for any, any kind of uh, uh, way that they could see mm-hmm. the work. Um, there was the oldest surviving feature film, Richard III, was dumped in our laps through a phone call in 1996 by the most wonderful gentleman in Portland, Oregon, Bill Buffum. <coughs> and he called and he said, uh, I have this print, you know, this nitrate print. Are you interested? Are we interested? Send it, you know, how do we, how do we get it? Well, believe it or not, UPS could ship nitrate film, and it only cost $76. I mean, I you know, it probably would cost, well, I don't know if they still do it, but... Um, that that was a thrilling mm-hmm. project. Anything to do with film history was thrilling mm-hmm. because you could appreciate how hard it was mm-hmm. to make that film, right. to make that film in 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 nineteen twelve. And that's amazing. And one of the things that I feel like we need to clarify and correct me if I'm wrong, if I remember incorrectly. But with nitrate film, what's so significant is that right? Okay, <laughs> I am right. So it's and that was the issue. And that was the issue with the archives, too, right? Their Absolutely. film was exploding. <laughs> well, and, and that's why, you know, the Library of Congress is so important. We just had the most spectacular event uh, celebrating our 50th anniversary of the Library of Congress on November 1st. And the AFI collection is there. It's an incredible facility in Culpeper, Virginia. Um, and it's, you know, 
the nitrate is preserved there in cold, <laughs> cold vaults. <laughs> and so I know that, unfortunately, we, we don't have tons and tons of time to talk about everything in the book, but the other element that I do want to highlight was a big project that you did, the big television show that was sort of a, by the bootstraps, we're going to like grit our teeth, right, and hope hope it comes through because it was AFI 100 years, 100 movies, and the idea was to get national recognition and take the brand, if you will, to another level, right? That's exactly right. And it was exactly at that time that um, funding from the National Endowment for the Arts, mm -hmm. we, uh, it had been precipitous forever mm -hmm. uh, because the NEA d itself didn't know if it was going to continue. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Congressional funding is on a yearly basis, so you could never plan, you could never count, you could never know when you what would come or how much would come, and it was it's not a way to uh, to, to have a calm uh, environment at all. Mm -hmm. So um, around 1995, we found out that we were going to be phased out completely, and we'd been thinking for a long time. Mm -hmm. We have to find a, other revenue. The hundredth anniversary was coming up and the question was how do you celebrate that how do you recognize what this has become this art form mm -hmm. and um, again trustees led the way and we had in 1990 uh, a trustee from Dallas Texas Lanier Timberland a, a brilliant brilliant advertising brand expert had said AFI is the best kept secret in America. Mm -hmm. People, everyone loves film, everyone mm -hmm. loves movies, um, and, and they should love and support the work of the AFI. And, and he had this phrase, I want the AFI to own the 100th anniversary. Yeah. So in 1990, he gave us this 20-page paper, and I said, how do we, do? We, we, can't, we, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. And by... It, but but it was this germ of an idea, and by 1995 we said maybe it is an idea, uh -huh. and then um, again just incredible support across the entire community and Fred Pierce, former um, chair of, of ABC, put together a funding mechanism that allowed AFI to create this program, and also to. Uh, provide funding mm -hmm. um, f that, in effect, replaced the NEA mm -hmm. funding. And little did we know, I mean, it was, it was like rolling the dice. It was yeah. like, who knows if this is going to work, if anybody's going to watch, if anybody's going to care. Mm -hmm. It not only worked, it worked for 11 years. And so um, if I'm doing a, a book interview in Illinois or in Kentucky or in the middle of a country... And and someone says, "Oh, AFI, mm -hmm. uh, I I I've I've watched fifty of those hundred <laughs> movies. Uh -huh. We are recognized yeah. for I think the character of of mm -hmm. the program and the way we presented it mm -hmm. as this is something worthy of you know uh, the recognition that American film artists are really amazing and." America should watch their work and appreciate it and enjoy it and talk about it. It's, um, 
it was a we had no idea if it was going to work or not so i'll tell you that <laughs> but it worked big time and that's what allowed afi to be on a sustaining positive mm-hmm. balance sheet going forward so you're right it was a big big moment <laughs> And two things I think that are also important of important significance within that is that first, in those days, also, the only place to watch movies was going to a theater. So it wasn't like you could just even... I well, mean, at those days, I guess we could pop in a VHS, right? Well, but, no, but, well, by 1998, everyone was watching DVDs. I mean, we couldn't have done this mm-hmm. in 1980. We couldn't have done it in 1990. But we could do it in 1998 uh-huh. because Everybody went into a DVD store, mm-hmm. and there was right there was a display uh-huh. of these of AFI's hundred mm-hmm. years, hundred movies, and the DVD right. for you to rent or to buy. Right. And that uh, Warren Lieberfarb was the father of uh, Warner Brothers was the fa- was the father of the DVD, mm-hmm. and he told us how to make this work. Uh-huh. But think about that. Right. How many video stores are there in America today? Right. That's it. You might go to Netflix, and that's not a store. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Right, those I mean, point of sale. point of sale. Yeah. Point of sale. So it, it's all about the timing mm-hmm. in the, with the technology yeah. at that moment, and, um, and it worked, yeah. and it worked. But you're right. In 1980, um, it was just the start of the video cassette. Right. Think about the video cassette. Yeah. That was it. So if you missed something at the theater... That was it. Good luck watching it ever again. No, no, no. I mean, it's, it's, um, I mean, we have so much available today. The streaming of, Mm -hmm. of stories, of brilliant, brilliant storytelling. Mm -hmm. The thing that worries me most about today, I don't know how you feel about this, is that there's no common water cooler conversation mm-hmm. about what did you see last night or what did you see over the weekend because mm-hmm. I can be streaming right. you know uh, the crown mm-hmm. and you can be looking at uh, you know uh, the bachelorette I'll confess it there you go <laughs> uh, everyone needs an embarrassing confession <laughs> I- I'm impressed <laughs> Watch the crown; it's very good. <laughs> I just lost all my street cred right there. <laughs> I but, forgive you, but you're right. Everyone can be watching something different. Is the point that there is such a multitude of programming right. within all realms, and there's no way for us to come together and talk about it as a community. Um, when um, uh, in, in the '80s, in the '90s, when you watch television, and the next morning you would go in and talk about that episode. Right. It was really a commonality of experience, and that experience is no longer valid. And so somehow or other, the technology needs to find a way for us to share those experiences and why we, th- why we like what we like. Mm-hmm. And I think somebody will figure it out, uh, you know, so, some brilliant person who really understands that phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, will find a way for us to log in mm-hmm. and have this conversation of why that episode, why we watched what we watched over the weekend and how much we enjoyed it. 
Right. And viewers can actually log into our sister network, After Buzz TV, for all of our after shows, because you're right, some people want to discuss The Bachelorette, some people want to discuss Shark Tank, which is actually a show that I lead the discussion on. So, right, there is a multitude of programming available. And there are a lot of books to read, but this is one that definitely people should pick up, whether you are a film fan, whether you are a historian, whatever, whether you like memoirs, because it all fits. So, Jean, thank you so much for coming in to speak with me. I know we only hit the tip of the ice when we're talking 50 years of AFI, but thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, it was so much fun. Thanks, Zoe. <laughs> oh, it's been great. And Book Circle Online fans, you can always come back here. You can also find me, like I said, on AfterBuzz TV, our sister network, hitting our Shark Tank after show. I'm Zoe Hewitt. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at RealZoeHewitt. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. From executive producers Kevin Undergaro, Maria Menunos, and Jeffrey Masters, thanks for tuning in to Book Circle Online. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment. To suggest a book title or their author, you can tweet us at BookCircleOn. This is Book Circle Online. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>